We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman and joining me today is Dusty Evely. Dusty is a writer and podcaster for Pack to the Future. You can follow him on Twitter at Dusty Evely. Uh, if you're new to the Pack-A-Day podcast, maybe you're joining us for the first time. Here's what you might have missed. We've got about 21 total podcasters joining our team. We make up about 10 total different teams. You're going to get about 20 minutes a day, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, but you're going to get about 20 minutes every single day. If you've missed us so far, you've missed a lot of great stuff. We've had some phenomenal guests, including Ben Fennell, Justice Mosqueda, Jack Webfer, Tom Crabtree, and Aaron Nagler. If you haven't got a chance to go back and listen to some of those episodes, definitely do so. Dusty, we're going to be talking about a variety of things today, but one of the things that was released that I, I think is always interesting that I kind of want to jump in right away is the the depth chart. Now, this is an unofficial depth chart. Uh, and it's it's never 100% accurate, so take it with a grain of salt. But I think there's some interesting things to glean from it. So just kind of wanted to start off today by going through position by position on the Packers' unofficial depth chart on their official website. And uh, just kind of get your thoughts on a couple different things. There were a few, uh, you know, interesting nuggets in there that I think we'll dig into a little bit deeper. But we'll start with quarterback. 
no surprises here. Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Kaiser, Tim Boyle. Uh, I think that's what everyone expected. And again, no shocking things there. Same thing with running back. Jamal Williams, Ty Montgomery, Darius Jackson listed as one, two, three. Of course, Aaron Jones is suspended, so no surprise there either. And with no fullbacks on the roster, that makes that position rather easy. I think the (laughs) first one that has any level of interest is the receiver position. They have the first line listed as Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, and Geronimo Allison as the starters. Of course, no surprise there. The second line is Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jamon Moore, and Trevor Davis in no particular order. They're all listed on the second line. And then the third line is Equinemius St. Brown. So we know our starters, the the three that we expected. And according to this, the number seven would be Equinemius St. Brown. We don't really know the order of four through six. We At least we can't glean anything from the unofficial depth chart. I kind of want to get your thoughts and opinion on who you think the number four receiver would be going into this weekend. And of course they might miss, you know, mix and match and they might go with matchups, but who do you think would be that primary number four receiver against Chicago and kind of going into the season and going on from there? I mean, I've been, I've been banging a drum for Trevor Davis since he was drafted. So I really want to say him because uh, I'm a big fan. I think what he can do in space with the speed is just tremendous. The The coaching staff has obviously seen to the contrary. So I'm kind of ruling him out. I think MVS flashed very well in the first game of the preseason and then I, I didn't really love what I saw after that I, not to say he's bad um, I just I think I guess just from draft position and just what he showed as far as potential maybe not for catching the ball but just potential in general as far as getting open I, I, I think I'm going Jamon Moore like he's he showed even when he was dropping balls which I, my understanding is it's important to catch passes if you're a wide receiver but he was always open like he was getting behind guys he seemed I don't know that he's necessarily polished. He seemed more polished than the other guys, or at least uh, that's just how it looked to me. So I think, I mean, you kind of, you already said it, Andy. I think they're, I don't know there's going to be a a number four. I think they're going to mix it up a little, especially early in the season. I think they're going to see kind of who can do what, but I think, I think going in more is my number four. Interesting. See, I, my thought here is I think it's Trevor Davis and uh, just kind of how he produced at the end of the last year. I know it wasn't anything phenomenal, but I thought against Detroit to end the season, he had a really nice end to the year. And I just think that the rookie receivers aren't exactly ready yet to be thrown into the fray. And uh, it just wouldn't surprise me if if one of the top three were to go down. I think that next guy up could legitimately be Trevor Davis. And it's just kind of a crazy, you know, whirlwind that Trevor Davis went through this offseason where, you know, you've kind of been high on Trevor Davis. I know Zach Jacobson and I were kind of defending him towards the middle of the offseason and saying, hey, don't give up on this guy quite yet. And then, of course, they draft the three rookie receivers. And even I'm 100% on board where if they had to cut somebody, whether it was Davis or one of the three rookies, I would have moved on from Davis. But then when you look at them, you know, being on the roster, making the roster in comparison to the rookie receivers at this point, I think if, if you had to get another guy in there, to me, Trevor Davis should be that number four. And I think he would be first man up just based on experience and familiarity with Rodgers. I hope you're right. I mean, it, like it is funny. I think me, me, you, and Zach are like the only Trevor Davis fans left, is my understanding. But I mean, he, he's shown what he can do. My only hesitation that I kind of said was like, it's just McCarthy has just not put him out there. Even when it's even when he shows what he can do, that that's my only hangup. I would put him clear number four. I just don't know that. I don't know if it's practice or what, but for whatever reason, he can't see the field. So I, that that's my hangup on him as as four. 
Yeah, I, I do agree with your initial take uh, on Jamon Moore. If he can catch the ball, he's he is a good step ahead of the rest of the receivers, Trevor Davis included, that we've been talking about in that second and third line in regards to, you know, release from the line of scrimmage, gaining separation. He's going to get open, and especially as a number three, number four receiver, if he gets to that point, he, he's still going to find success against nickel corners, number three and number four corners. So uh, he's going to have success in – Obviously, Aaron Rodgers throws a very catchable ball, so you would think he would be put in a very, you know, very advantageous position. And uh, at some point, I think he's going to break out. I think it may be a little bit more down the line, but he's a very talented receiver. It wouldn't shock me in any way, shape, or form if he's the number four. Um, But just kind of an interesting dynamic there of of who gets it in. It'll be interesting to see if that if that holds up. And you, you know, it's unlikely that all seven are active on game day, which based on this. Equinemia St. Brown, you would think would kind of be the odd man out and maybe even one other as well. I would love to get to see them put Marquez Valdez-Scantling on the field for a handful of plays every game. I don't even care if he does anything. Like if if his job is to go out and run a dummy route uh, from a, you know, just run a a nine route and, uh, you know, try to open up field for everyone else that has value to me. If they want to run a fake reverse to him, that has value to me. So I would love for him to get at least five snaps a game in some capacity and just throw him a deep ball. Well, listen, man, not to stick too long and I'll be quick, but when we talked to justice, that was one of his big things was the Packers have not had that speed guy. And now between uh, MVS and Davis, you've got, you've got kind of two of those guys. You send MVS deep, you get Davis in space, maybe on a fake jet sweep or whatever. I mean, suddenly you've got the field a little more open than we've seen in a very long time. So I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, I hope to see that. And I hope they just don't get kind of in the same routines and personnel that they have in the past. And based on preseason play and based on how Philbin's done things, I think they'll be a little bit more creative uh, with some of the formations and some of the personnel that they use. Uh, ben Fennell had a great article on how they use some of the tight ends today. If you get a chance to check that out on The Athletic, definitely do. And uh, just some of the formations they were using, it was just such a breath of fresh air. And I know you've been huge on that all offseason as well. Uh, Speaking of uh, the tight end article that Ben Fennell did, we'll do this beautiful transition to the tight end position. Jimmy Graham, number one, Mercedes Lewis, number two. And then on the third line, they have both Lance Kendricks and Robert Tanyan. I don't think that's any surprise. What's your thought on, on how much, if any, playing time Robert Tanyan gets going into the season? Man, probably not much. I mean, I don't know if he'll dress. If he dresses, he seems like he'd be uh, he's going to be special teams more than anything. I'd love, I mean, you know, me and you, we've talked about this before. Um, I'd love to see him on the field. I just think he seems pretty solid in the four spot. So I, I don't think, especially early in the season, we're going to see him. I don't think we're going to see him on the field more than, I don't know, five snaps a game for at least the first half of the year. I wouldn't think. I'd love to see him out there more, but I, I don't think we're going to see a ton of him. Yeah, I'm on the same page. Uh, he may dress because they don't have a fullback and they maybe want to use, you know, some of those tight ends or have a little bit more, you know, special teams activity from their tight end position. But I, I don't expect him to play a lot unless injuries happen. But I think if he gets out there, I, I think he can be a little bit of a matchup problem and he'll be a player to watch as time goes on. But I agree. I think the top three are going to be Graham Lewis and Kendricks. And then we'll see if he gets an opportunity as the year goes on. We'll say from that fullback position, I mean, for a guy that just transitioned to tight end, he's a better blocker than I thought he was going to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. He cleared out a couple different uh, players throughout the course of the preseason. You know, at that point in your career, especially from being a quarterback, then a receiver in college, and then finally a tight end in the pros, you know, you're just looking for willingness. And the Mm -hmm. fact that he has the willingness and some ability to do it puts him well ahead of the curve for this point in his career. For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a lot of promise there. And uh, Aaron Rodgers actually today, they, he was asked about Tanyan and he called him Bobby. So there's, you know, he's always got nothing <laughs> for everyone. But he said, Bobby a hundred percent deserves to be here. And he seemed pretty proud uh, of uh, that. He, that he made the team and, and thought he was very deserving. So that stands out. Usually that stuff can, can kind of hold some water sometime. If, if you're in, in Rogers, good graces, sometimes that, that can go a long way. So mm-hmm. Uh, transitioning to the offensive line, of course, we know the starters, Bakhtiari, Taylor, Lindsley, McCray, and Bulaga. Uh, interestingly, you know, and I think this is where this becomes an unofficial, uh, I think it was last week, Mike McCarthy had noted that Jason Spriggs would be the top, you know, backup at both tackle positions. But here on this, it's got Jason Spriggs as the left tackle uh, on the second line, Lucas Patrick as left guard and center, and then Byron Bell at right guard and right tackle. And then Alex Light is firmly alone on the third line. Uh, but I, I still expect what McCarthy said to stay true. I think Spriggs will be the backup at both uh, left tackle and right tackle. And I actually think Lucas Patrick would be the the backup at any of the three interior positions should it come to that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that. yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add. The, the only... I think the only way we see Bell at a tackle position is if Spriggs is at the other tackle position. All right, transitioning to defense, and this is actually one of the positions I wanted to touch base a little bit more on, defensive line. Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, Muhammad Wilkerson listed as the starters, and then Dean Lowry and Matravius Adams are listed as the backups on the second unit. Uh, Not really much surprise there. There's not much more they could have done since they've only got five guys. And uh, I'm just more curious as to how you think they will break down the snaps when it comes to using Clark Daniels, Wilkerson, Lowry, and Adams. I would assume all five would be active, but how do you think that rotation looks? Man, I'd love to see Adams, Clark, Daniels. It's a solid line. That's especially with how Adams look. That's a solid line. What I'd really love to see is you get like, um, I don't know, Wilkerson, Clark Adams as kind of your maybe your two down not main two down because obviously Daniels is still very good but that's kind of your 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 gritty unit uh, kind of run stuffing guys and then man just you look at you know like the Warriors lineup of death you put Kenny Clark <laughs> Mike Daniels and Dean Lowry in on third and long third and medium and just tell them go get them like that's the one thing that they've not been able to do we we know Kenny Clark Mike Daniels and and, and Dean Lowry can all rush the passer. Under Capers, they've not really done that a ton. But we know those guys, especially Clark and Daniels, can get it. So I'd love to see Daniels maybe a little less on first and second um, than he had. And this is all assuming that Wilkerson is actually good, that he's played like we know he can play occasionally. Maybe save Daniels for third a little bit and just say, all right, go go get it. Yeah, I, I'm on the same page there. I think what I would really like to see, if if they can manage it and handle it, I would like to see Wilkerson, Adams, and Lowry get the get the dirty work on a lot of those, you know, first and ten type of plays where there's, you know, going to be a lot of runs and, you know, maybe the second and sixes, you know, get them on some of the less sexy downs and then let you know Clark and Daniels really eat on those important snaps and, and save their legs a little bit and, and save them even more for the more important games or the more important moments. You know, if you're if you're down seven or if you're maybe up three and the other team has the ball, get them out there. Get Clark and Daniels out there and and really you know make them try to dominate in those situations. But yeah. if you're tied, if you're up and it's some of those you know downs where it's just grind. I don't I don't really want to see Kenny Clark playing you know, 65 snaps a game because watching, you know, all the tape last year, and I know you went through this as well, but Clark and Daniels, they both got the injuries, you know, yeah. throughout the season from playing so much, but towards the end of the year, they just weren't the same. I think just, you know, it is a grind in the middle of a, a defensive oh gosh, line. Yeah. 
defensive tackle, playing against guards and centers. You're usually going three on two on a vast majority of plays. And that's just a tough thing to handle. And the more that they can keep those two fresh for the end of the year for big plays, I think the better. And I'm not saying that, you know, you don't want, you know, Clark and Daniels out there on some first downs or starting or things like that. They absolutely should get some of those snaps. I just don't want them seeing, you know, 65, 70 snaps a game. I think they got to limit that, especially with the depth they have. Let's uh, transition to edge rusher. This is another one I wanted to touch base a little bit more on. Uh, Nick Perry and Clay Matthews, obviously the starters. Reggie Gilbert, Kyler Fackrell listed on the second line. Not so much uh, a surprise there and not you know, concerned about it, but I've got a lot of questions this week about <laughs> – you know, when are they going to sign a fifth edge rusher? Why don't they have five edge rushers? You know, when are they bringing in Jaron Elliott? When are they bringing in John Simon? When are they trading for Dante Fowler or Shane Ray? I've yeah. got a lot of mentions, a lot of comments, a lot of questions in regards to that. I'll let you go first and kind of where your thoughts are on the edge rusher position as a whole. I'm the same way. It's it's odd. I keep waiting for a move. You know, Simon and then Reese of Elliott, I've always been an Elliott fan. I, I keep waiting for something to happen. And it at this point, I kind of don't think anything is, or I'm not waiting for anything to happen, uh, which I don't know, man, like Clay Matthews and Nick Perry, I really like, but both those guys deal with injuries. Gilbert, I love, but he's an un- relative unknown. And Kyler Fackrell is Kyler Fackrell. I-, I don't know that I ever loved justice more than when he was basically like, this guy should not be on an NFL roster. It's like, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's correct. I think he's, I don't, I don't know. Like four guys and two of those guys have an injury history. And then one of the, backups is not good and the others an unknown it makes me nervous I, I we just talked about the defensive line depth and and if you can kind of collapse that that opens up the edge and maybe you don't need a star pass rusher uh because you're going to get some free rushes or one-on-one you just need to be the guy with the speed rush like I, I get that I can see that but you're basically betting on all of those guys to hold up all season when that's not going to happen I this is one of those I just I don't understand it. When I'm looking at the roster, I really like the roster, and there's a couple holes, and this is one of them. So, Andy, make me feel better um, because I I don't I don't hate this. I don't hate three of these four guys. I just don't know what happens when Perry and or Matthews goes down. I think there's going to be a, a variety of different things how um, how they're going to go about this. First of all, I think Mike Pettin's going to be really creative with how he uses his his front seven. I think you're going to see a lot of three defensive linemen and one edge rusher, meaning Muhammad Wilkerson and Dean Lowry are going to be playing basically edge rusher as a, as a four, three defensive end, almost um, two defensive tackles. And then, you know, either Clay or Perry standing up the opposite side. I think you're even going to potentially see some four defensive linemen looks with both Lowry and Wilkerson at the edge and uh, with uh, Montrevis Adams or Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels in the middle of the field uh, in kind of a base 4-3 look with some Clay Matthews standing up uh, with Oren Burks and Blake Martinez. I think you might see some base looks like that. And then I think you'll see some traditional 3-4 type looks. I think you'll see some nickel with two outside linebackers standing up. I think they're going to be very, very creative in, in how they deploy their front seven. And I think the the depth at the defensive line that we just talked about is really going to make it so they don't they don't have to use Perry and Clay a ton, and they don't have to use more thankfully, you know, Kyler Fackrell a bunch. And I think Reggie Gilbert will play the, the right amount of snaps, 20 to five to 30-ish snaps, maybe that he's supposed to play as well. The the other thing I'll say is that, you know, I've been huge on the get John Simon bandwagon. I was before he was even cut with the Colt. However, he was banged up in Indianapolis. He would have been questionable for week one anyway. 
And if you sign a veteran defensive lineman or a veteran anywhere at this point, uh, you have to guarantee their contract for the full season prior to week one. So if they're going to go out and get a veteran edge rusher, I would expect it in week two. And I think you'll see more veteran signings next week because then you don't have to guarantee their contract. So if they were to go out and get someone like a J. Ron Elliott or a John Simon, I think it makes more sense to do so next week because, again, then you don't have to guarantee the full contract. But I, I think the other point here is that even if they get somebody – the, the change in win-loss for the season by getting one of these players that are on the street right now is very, very minimal. They're all a dime a dozen. You're not going to get this premier edge rusher anyway. So there's not a ton of advantage to picking them up now. You can stack your roster the way that you want to. And if you suffer an injury, you can pick up Kendall Donerson off the practice squad or, or a guy off the street. And again, it's not going to change your win-loss total at the end of the year at all. Yeah, it makes me feel a little better. And then I was also thinking that the, while you were talking, was it game three of the preseason there's a really nicely drawn up blitz with uh, Bryce on kind of a looping hit through the middle where he just, just absolutely murdered the quarterback. Like I do think Petten is going to do a good job on that. So, so thinking that edge rushers, the only guy is going to get to the quarterback is probably not accurate. They do have ways to hit home. It, it's still, I don't know, man, when I'm looking like Kyler Fackrell's no worse than our number four edge rusher, that that's what makes me nervous. I think. But Yeah. I guess my, my bigger point there is just that, I'm not sure there's much you can do about it. You know, I know what everyone's saying. I wish there was a little bit more depth there. And uh, it's probably something they they probably should have addressed a little bit more, either in the draft or free agency at some point. Just didn't work out that way. And I think they'll be okay based on Mike Pettin's scheme and what they can do with the, the front seven as a whole. All right. Inside linebacker, Blake Martinez, Oren Burks on the first line. Uh, no surprise there. Antonio Morrison, Corey Toomer on the second line, both uh, new to the defense, and I'm sure are doing a crash course in Mike Pettin's defense. And then James Crawford on the third line, who is really going to be here for his special teams and not so much for his defensive prowess at this point in his career. And then that really brings us to corner, which is the other interesting one. I, I posed this question before the depth chart even came out. I posed this question the other day. Of the, the four corners who I deem the top four corners on the team, Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Josh Jackson, Tremont Williams, I said, in a nickel defense, obviously there's only three corners, which one should not be on the field. So what, you know, you had to choose one that you think should be on the bench when the green Bay's in their nickel. And I also throw that through the caveat out that you can't move any of these players to safety. So you can only have three of them on the field and you can't move any to safety. Which one would you not want on the field? And it was interesting. Almost nobody voted for Jair Alexander, only 12% voted for Jair Alexander. So he had the largest vote of confidence that he should be on the field in the nickel. And then it really, went back and forth throughout the vote. Kevin King ended with 28%, Josh Jackson with 30 and Tremont Williams with 30, but Williams was slightly higher. So the, in the fan vote that I have about 1400 votes, they actually voted that they would want Tremont Williams on the bench out of Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Josh Jackson, and Tremont Williams in the nickel defense. So I found that interesting. And then before I have you chime in, that I thought even more interesting was on the unofficial depth chart. They have Tremont Williams and Kevin King on the first line as the starters. Jair Alexander and Devon House on the second line, and then Josh Jackson alone on the third line as the fifth cornerback. Um, I know Ross Uglum probably would not be too happy about that uh, if that would in fact be the case. But what are your thoughts? Who would be your top three corners and who would be in the slot and how would you organize the the corners going into the season? I mean, I think this is kind of how I've gone all along. And I've kind of I've kind of been thinking of it, you know, in terms of you assume everyone's healthy at this point. Yep. I assume everyone's healthy at this point, unless on the injury report. All through, unless someone got injured, this entire offseason has been, all right, well, it's, it's Tremont Williams and King are the one and two. And I think I'm higher on King than a lot of people. 
but I think he was out of position some last year, but he flashed and just his size, his athleticism, he seems perfect for a, for an outside corner. Like when I thought he was going to be the one and they brought Williams in it's okay. Well, he's probably the two. Uh, It doesn't matter. He's going to be on the outside. So yeah, my one, two uh, Williams King. And then, I mean, since the draft, Alexander has been my three. Uh, I have nothing against Jackson. Um, I would definitely bump Jackson above house on that depth chart. I might, so my four would be Williams, King, Alexander, Jackson. But, yeah, my nickel would be uh, Williams, King is the one, two, and then Alexander is the slot. Yeah, I have no qualms with that. The one I, I, I'm interested to get your opinion on this. I think Kevin King and Josh Jackson, in the way that they play and with their strengths and weaknesses, are very similar type of players for outside cornerbacks. And I want, I think they would mirror each other very well on the outside. And then if you play either Tremont or Jair Alexander in the slot, I'm, I'm almost wondering if that doesn't give you the most symmetry and maybe symmetry is not the most important thing. Yeah. You know, of course you're going to want the best matchups you can possibly get, mm-hmm. but I think there's something to be said about, you know, two corners playing very similarly on the outside where you're going to get the very similar type of production that could potentially have some value. So that, that's one thing I consider, but I don't see any way you can keep Tremont off the field at this yeah. point. I, I I don't know who you keep off. I mean, it's a fantastic, fantastic problem to have, especially after last season. And maybe you just ride the hot hand. And I think matchups are going to go a long way in determining who they go up against. And I think even Devon House in the right matchup could be in that conversation. Because as I've said in the past, there are you know veteran receivers who win with Savvy and who don't like being pressed. And if that's the case, Devon House is a really good matchup for those type of receivers. So I think all five of these corners have something that they can bring to the table. And uh, I think they'll all be used in different ways throughout the course of the year. And of course, unfortunately, injuries will, I'm sure, dictate some of that playing time as well as the season goes on. But uh, I'm good with almost any of them, but I, I think we're on the same page in that Devon House should be the five. Yeah, my, my only qualm with, I think, starting Jackson opposite King, I get real, real, real nervous anytime you got a couple of young corners in those big jobs. Just because corner more than a lot of other positions, it takes a year or two to kind of get your feet wet. And we've not necessarily seen that. I, I kind of wonder if that trend is changing a little bit. But King in his second year and then Jackson opposite him, I kind of like that steady hand of Williams over there. It has nothing to do with skill. I, I, your, your point of them kind of mirroring each other, is it makes sense to me it still makes me nervous to have those two young guys on the outside. So I'm, I'm for now, like a year or two down the line, King and Jackson on the outside start is tremendous this year. I, I think I'm fine with Williams and King. Yeah. It's, it's so cool to think of. I always think of rosters two, three years down the road yeah. that, you know, you've got Kevin King, Jair Alexander and Josh Jackson for the next three years on cheap rookie deals. Yes. Like, that's absolutely ridiculous. And, and Tremont's on a fairly cheap deal even next year as well, too. So, that, you know, assuming he doesn't all of a sudden, you know, crazily lose a step, you've got a really nice group of corners for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. All right. Jumping ahead to safety, Haha Clinton Dix and Kentrell Bryce on the starting line, Jermaine Whitehead, Josh Jones on the second line, and then Raven Green on the third line. No surprises there unless you're shocked by anything. Zero surprises there. Yeah, we're on the same page there. So, uh, of course, kicker Mason Crosby, punter J.K. Scott. Uh, they have Trevor Davis as the number one on the kick returner and punt returner. Ty Montgomery listed as the number two kick returner. Jair Alexander listed as the number two punt returner. So some notes of interest there, but I just wanted to kind of go through that. That's the unofficial depth chart, according to Packers.com. Of course, we'll finally get to see how some of those things play out this week against the Bears. And Dusty and I will be one of the first people breaking down the tape on all 22 as soon as it comes. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty jacked about getting back in the all 22 right after a game is done. 
man, I've been going through the preseason stuff. I'm just like, but I want the wider look. I want it, it's it's not the same, Andy. I can't I can't wait, brother. Yeah, I'm I'm super pumped for that. So I wanted to touch base on your Khalil Mack breakdown that you mm-hmm. did. If anyone hasn't had a chance yeah. to go and watch it, Dusty found, I think, pretty much every major snap that Khalil Mack took against the Packers in his last game as a Raider versus the Packers. Uh, tell me what you found and, and tell me what your main takeaways were from that exercise. I mean, I, I mentioned at the end of the thread, but it's an imperfect thing because, you know, obviously the Raiders and the Packers don't play each other that much. The last time they played each other, was 2015 and it was Mac's second year in the league. So, I mean, right there you're saying, all right, his second year, he's obviously progressed, like obviously progressed since then. He's, he's a great, he's a great pass rusher. He's playing more. Um, but I just kind of wanted to see how he looked. I uh, just kind of get an idea. How did he look against the tackles? Because we, we have, the Packers have the same tackles. It's, it's Balaga and Bakhtiari. And I, I, it, some of it was kind of tough because it was kind of a crap field. Like it was very slippery. There's one, <laughs> my favorite one that a lot of people have gotten mad at. There's one where Mac just slips because the field is garbage and, and Richard Rogers just falls on top of him. Um, <laughs> like that, that's, that's one of my favorites. Uh, but he doesn't slip that much. Um, it, kind of my takeaway was he picks up a sack and the, it's a tremendous sack. Man, it's great. He kind of sets up Bulaga with the speed move and spins back inside. And you don't see it often. And Bulaga just goes flying, like just has nothing for him, and then, you know, uh, Mac picks up the sack. But for the most part, like, he held his ground. That's one of the things that people kind of hit me up with was he got a sack. You know, if he gets one sack every game, that's, that's you know, 16 sacks a year. That's really, really good. Like, yeah, that is good, but he didn't really apply pressure uh, outside of, you know, two to three other snaps that I can think of. He started over Bulaga, and I think he traditionally plays over right tackle. And Bulaga gave up the sack, and I think Bulaga gave up one pressure. But, but Bulaga held really, really well. There's not, like – he did the speed rush. He did the speed rush counter where he goes on the side. He had a spin move. And aside from the one sack spin move, the spin move did nothing. Second half, he moved over to Bakhtiari. And that, that's my other point is that, uh, you know, Mac was in his second season. Bakhtiari was also young, and Bakhtiari has gotten better. He had nothing for Bakhtiari, like nothing. I don't know that he got a pressure off of him. When Bakhtiari, we've seen this a thousand times, when he digs in, he digs in, man. Like there's no – he couldn't get a bull rush on him. He couldn't get around him on the speed. He couldn't hit him with the counter like – I don't know, like, and and one of the counters to that that I that I also consider a lot of people hit me with is that Raiders defense is not as good as the Bears defense. That's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. But if you can have both of your tackles one on one with the best pass rusher on the other team, that make that's a huge win. That's that helps the entire offense. Uh, if you can, if you don't need, I think they only chipped him a few times. So that's kind of my main takeaway. It was a few years ago. I get that it's imperfect. But I was I was surprised at how well they. I remember watching that game, and I remember going into that game terrified that Mac was going to kill him, and he didn't. And and, and that's huge, huge up to um, to those tackles. And now, I mean, on top of that, you've now got Mercedes Lewis, who's a tremendous uh, blocker as a tight end, and you got Jamal Williams, who is, I mean, just out of one year, just a stud in pass protection. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk, but I do think that the offensive line. Uh, especially the tackles in particular are, are going to hold up better than a lot of people kind of think they will. It just, it was an eye opening experience. It was fun. It took me like an hour and a half and it was, uh, it was kind of fun to do. It was really great work. I really appreciated it. I know a lot okay. of other people did as well. And uh, I, I went and watched every video that you posted and I'll say this, if, if green Bay can do that against Mac every game, I know he got the sack. I will take that exact performance for the next yeah. six years two times a year. I will allow him that one sack that he got with Rogers rolling out of the pocket that where he kind of tripped him up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Totally fine with that. 
if that's the performance that he gets uh, every year in every game that we play against them, sign me up. But uh, I know he's, he's gotten better. He's a beast. He's a machine. He's going to get his, and uh, it's, it's certainly uh, not advantageous that he's in the division and, and we have to see him two times a year, yeah. but there are very, very few teams who are equipped to handle it better than the Packers with Bakhtiari and Bulaga. One of the things I'm most excited to watch this upcoming game is Bulaga versus Khalil Mack because they mm-hmm. both should be rusty as heck. Bulaga uh, is coming back from injury. He played a couple preseason snaps, didn't practice a ton. You know, he's going to be a little bit rusty. And then Khalil Mack, of course, he hasn't really touched a football field since about uh, December of last year. So uh, it's going to be a really interesting matchup between those two. I think you bring up a great point that Mercedes Lewis has the opportunity to be a really big impact if all of a sudden Mack gets it going. Maybe not this game. I don't expect that to happen because I do think he's going to be a little bit rusty, but maybe next time they match up. Yeah, and I think like Spriggs, I think looked better in preseason. I think he's taken some steps, but I will say like if Bulaga was not ready to go week one, even a rusty like just not at all like a rusty Bulaga is one thing. But if he was not able to go at all, and it's Spriggs on the right side and Mac preferring the right side, I'd be terrified. But even a rusty Bulaga, like I'm not, you know, I'm sleeping at night, so that's something. Unless it's Rusty Bulaga, like the one game against Seattle where Bruce Irvin had like six sacks against them. Yeah, that it, I would not like. Yeah. yeah, if it's that Rusty Bulaga, then we've 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 got to figure out something else. But um, I don't think that's going to be the case. So we're we're good there. Uh, anything else you got going on, Dusty? Anything you want to promote at all? No, nah, man. I just had a new piece come out today. I guess when this comes out, it'll be yesterday that I wrote about uh, one of my favorite plays I watched last year. Um, I was going to do like five or six of these during the off season. This is my third one and the season's coming up. So I think this is the last one that was a, a piece to steal from the Rams, which was uh Ross Uglum, our own Ross Uglum talked about the um, it's called the chase Morlock wheel. It was originated in North, North Dakota state. It's essentially four verticals but with kind of a, a running back wheel behind it that the Rams ran that the Packers also ran one of my favorite concepts I saw in the past year. So I did a write up on that that I think went well, uh, it seemed to be getting good feedback. So yeah, if you haven't got a chance to check that out, I guess maybe check that out. I kind of broke <laughs> it down with, um, you know, some diagrams and, and gifts because I don't know how to do anything other than make gifts just to kind of show um, kind of how the misdirection affects the defense and why things work. Kind of a simplistic look at some of that stuff, but th- that was, I think, far and away one of my favorite concepts I saw last year. And that was something, you know, Ross talked about. There's something Ben Fennell talked about. He was kind of on the search. A bunch of teams were running it, kind of a copycat off a of college concept. So uh, that was kind of mine. And then, I mean, really, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited. I'm tackling the Packers offense, passing offense this year over at uh, Pack to the Future. So that'll be coming out hopefully Tuesday or Wednesdays after the game. So, yeah, I mean, man, like a week from today, a week from today, my first post after Packers game will be up. So, I kind of got that thing, and then this will be going on during the season. So, man, I'm God, I'm over the moon. Football season's here. I'm so excited. Yep, I'm pumped. First game is uh, Eagles-Falcons. Looking forward to that. I'm actually going to be off the podcast for a little while, which seems really crazy for me. So starting uh, next week, go out on Cheesehead TV and check out uh, my piece. I will be grading every single play of every single player throughout the entirety of the season because – there's certain circuits that don't fire in my head correctly, and I'm really dumb for doing it. But uh, basically, pro football focus style, I'll grade every single play on every player. And uh, check that out every Friday morning on Cheesehead TV. So that'll be out uh, starting next Friday and then every Friday there on after. And then make sure to check out Dusty's piece as well, and that'll be on Pack to the Future, correct? Correct. All right, perfect. So go check that out on Pack to the Future. Uh, of course, you can always find us on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. Follow us on Twitter at Packaday Podcast. You can find me at Scotty Sports, Dusty at Dusty Evely. 
Uh, if you haven't had a chance, make sure to check out Ben Fennell's piece on The Athletic. He did a fantastic job. Uh, Aaron Nagler came back with Packer Transplants on She Said TV. Uh, so make sure if you haven't had a chance, go check that out. See, when you come visit our podcast, we pump you up. You don't even ask us to, and we pump you up anyway. <laughs> Listen in tomorrow for Andrew Murtag and Kyle Fellows. I'm sure they're going to start breaking down the Bears-Packers game even a little bit more. Thanks, as always, for listening. Dusty, thanks for joining me. Thank and you. as always, go Pack Go. Pack Go. Six seconds to go. Ball just outside of the four. Roger shotgun looks to his right. Snap to A-Rod. Throws right side. Yes! Touchdown! And a dagger! The dagger to Andrew Paulus on the right side! Aaron pointing to the right now. Gets the snap. Looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Leaping right yes! at the back to Adams. Yes! Touchdown Green Bay! A spectacular throw and catch to the left side of the end zone. Rodgers from the 42 New York. Fourth down and two. Snap to A-Rod. Looking downfield. Scrambles right. Now winds up. Rainbows into the end zone. It is caught. Yes! Yes!